0: This this is one of you, huh? Oh. Oh, this, this is him dead. Oh. Uh, Yang. And these two. Yeah, glad I told you that fucking word. These are whites, huh? White uh, cocksucker. Two white cocksuckers killed him. And stole the dope that he was bringing to you. White cocksucker! You... switchin'! The dope that you were gonna fucking sell to me? White cocksucker! These two white cocksuckers? Who the fuck did it? Who? Who, you ignorant fucking chink! Who? 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 Who stole the fucking dope? Cocksucker!
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Holmes Movies Podcast. My name is Anders Holmes and I am, after a very long period of time, I am joined again by Adam over Skype. Hello. It's been a while since we've done an episode together. Uh, it's early.
2: <laughs> well, for you it is. Yeah. It's six in the fucking morning. Anyway. Is it six in the morning? Here I am. <laughs> hmm? Jesus. Hmm. That's my commitment to podcasting. <laughs> Anything past like five is a no-no. Duh. Anyway, <laughs> um, I feel uh, I feel like Al is after a rough night. No, um, I'm ready <laughs> to go. I can't wait to talk about this. Uh, how are
1: you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I've been busy, but yeah, I'm good. This is w- one of my days off this week, so it's nice to have a day off to do a bit of podcasting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I've been working. Uh, not, I did a little sound job at the, uh, um, A few weeks ago, it was a pilot for, not really a pilot, but like a test screening, test uh, video for a short film that might get funded. Actually, they did get funded because I saw on Instagram they did get funded for that short film. So maybe I'll work on theirs, I don't know. But no, it was good fun. I was It was because I'd worked with them before and they liked working with me and they thought I was really good and nice and decided to bring me along and it was cool. We were shooting behind the scenes all night, uh, shooting in, in the sort of... Office area of the uh, Grand Theater, the cinema here in uh, the Grand Theater cinema here in Copenhagen, which was pretty cool.
2: Good and nice, I like that. Yeah, um, good and nice. Good and nice. That's but, how I describe it.
1: <laughs> but yeah, um, but yeah, it's good. Yeah, the, it's nice to see the sun is finally out. Wish we did have the sun out and the heat when I was making my short film because we were shooting most of our short film took place outside and the weather was not on our side which was a little bit annoying but anyways we you know i i I mean i've mentioned this before in a a thing but i had a producing teacher who said no matter how bad things can go on your film things can fall out or weather is shit or anything like that he always says you'll have a film at at the end of it and we did so i'm very happy with that and looking forward to putting it all
2: together Mm, well i look forward to seeing that um yeah So that's cool. Yeah. Um, The weather was uh, interesting when I was in Denmark. It was sort of a little bit up and down, but we got through it because uh, I was there just three weeks ago for... uh, Your wedding. Indeed. Yeah. Um, At which uh, you did a speech. I did do a speech. It was the first time I ever did a speech at any (laughs) kind of occasion. Where uh, (laughs) are? It was very nerve-wracking, but you did very well. Uh, But the main reason I bring it up is because you peppered it with about... 8 million movie references. Uh, but you missed one thing. Oh, what was that? You didn't say hello, Ducky. And he was in the crowd. Oh, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was. That's all right. So that's how the movies convention Yeah, I know, uh, I know, I know. But yeah. that's all right.
1: Missed a bit of a golden uh, opportunity there. It was
2: yeah. a wonderful speech, and it was very, very amazing. And um, we have news about uh, weddings, right? Not that you're getting married, but no, that we're no. going
1: to do. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the the next episode we're going to do is uh, our favorite films where a wedding, it, it, like any, our favorite wedding-themed movies, or like a film where there's a wedding and it's a part of it's it's an it's integral to the film or
2: something like that. There we go. And we're not going to spend the whole time talking about Game of Thrones, which, no. by the way, I just finished. And.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like how I felt as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm on like. I mean, I'm on like a group. I'm on like. I'm on like a group chat with like two of my friends from film school, and like every day when the new, when the new episode came out, we would just be bitching about how like illogical so much of the stuff
2: was, and just like how I don't know, just past. We don't need. To, we don't. We don't hijacking this to talk about Game of Thrones. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, there's there's a couple of um, plot holes, but uh, no, I mean, it, I, honestly, I think. That um and I'll say this and say no more on the subject, that they did write by most of the characters, not all of them, they did write by most of the show, and they're clearly ready to be done. They're clearly exhausted by the process of making this huge program. And i think under the circumstances, they did okay. There are a couple of differences though between that and how and what we're gonna talk about mm-hmm. and how it all ends. And how I think Deadwood obviously did much better. But yes. um I don't I didn't feel the need to tweet about it, for example. But mostly because I only just finished it now and it's June. Yeah. Um anyway. Well you've been busy, of course. Oh, you know, yeah. Um yeah. I did it did take about two I no mean, no. We watched it I think in three sittings. Yeah. Mm. We sat down how- to. I mean, we we got. I think we bought a one week free trial of HBO, and we didn't have to pay anything. Nice. <laughs> we, we watched the Deadwood movie and Game of Thrones in less time. <laughs> than oh, you could have so, watched. Uh,
1: you you, you could have watched True Detective season three. David Milch wrote an episode for that.
2: Uh, yeah. Well, I was kind of figuring maybe you would buy that on DVD, and I'd steal it from you one day. Uh
1: fair. Fair point. You know that big battle episode, episode three in Game of Thrones. You know how many nights it took to shoot that that episode? How
2: many nights with a K or
1: just night like nights? As K? in like <laughs> it night shoots. Sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah, do you know how many okay. nights it took to film that whole episode? Uh
2: <laughs> No. How many? How many? How many knicks did it take to shoot that? It. Sh- they shot uh,
1: episode three titled "The Long Night," which was directed by Miguel Shapochnik, who directed the Battle of the Bastards episode and hard home in season mm. five so he 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 comes for the big event episodes and he also did episode five where you know Dragonfire got fell down on getting king's landing but now it took 55 nights to shoot that episode over mm. like one after the other and uh, a lot of people were like hoping to never do that sort of stuff again yeah I yeah. mean there's
2: good bits and there's bad bits
1: right yes yeah, a lot of yeah of...
2: Anyway, we're not talking about Game of Thrones. No, we're not. We're talking about different HBO properties.
1: Yes, we. Uh, I actually did. An, I did an episode by myself uh, uh, recently about uh, talking about the Deadwood movie. But I didn't. Yeah, go... No one's
2: going to listen to that. They're going to listen to this one.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I feel like with this one we can go into a little bit more detail because I didn't want to like spoil anything because I feel like this could be a bit more of a spoiler and more detailed oh, yeah. review. So
2: say, yeah, if you haven't seen the HBO show Deadwood, which ran from 2004 to 2006, yes, uh, and if you haven't seen the deadwood movie which recently concluded said series then you should stop listening now because we're going to start spoiling things very soon yes starting from now
0: cocksucker upstairs across the way whorehouse where i work he is a fucking cocksucker locks the fucking door so people can't get to help him fucking ashamed to be sick you know he had it designed to murder that little one No, I didn't. Hell, yes. He had it designed. Charlie and me spirited her from camp, forced him to a second victim more suitable to his cocksucker's purpose. Think they're any different if they've had their fucking dicks cut on? They ain't no fucking different. You gotta like their friends or they won't teach you numbers or every other fucking regulation they set. Anyways far as it fucking goes he also brought the cripple from that orphanage uh, what orphanage don't buy his bullshit about the nine cent trick what cripple jewel that he says he's got around against some hoople head only having nine cents and wanting a piece of pussy that ain't it why she's around is it's his sick fucking way of protecting her
1: I I've said what I've I've posted about on Facebook and on Twitter and I've also talked about it on the episode, but I've we've I've yet to hear your opinions on the Deadwood movie, like your sort of more detailed review
2: and well, analysis. Um I predictably loved it. Um I thought it was a quite wonderful revisitation of old friends, old um locations it really um brought you back into the world of the show in a convincing and um moving way um it was rushed of course it had to be but unlike its other hbo cousin game of thrones mm-hmm. that only affected it in terms of how they were how they had to spend relatively little time with each character it didn't feel rushed in terms of um, there being too many major plot holes, of course, there were a couple here and there, but nothing that made you think like, Ugh, this is this is unconvincing or whatever. You know, you understood that what you were getting was all you were going to get. And that's why they had to, you know, keep things moving the way they did. Um, it was, I thought, beautifully done. It was also different enough from the show. Uh, to make it feel like there was they you know that there was artistic justification for bringing it back rather than just a sort of nostalgia fest and um, and it was um it was very i just think some of the decisions they made were very interesting and very uh pleasing i, I think that so much uh, was done to um to leave us feeling that actually yeah we just we'd come to the you know, we'd come to the end of the story, and and we were happy with where we'd ended up. And I think the the decision that Al would not live to see the end of the, well, you know, would his death would be the end of the show mm-hmm. was a really good one. The decision to give Trixie a happy ending, no pun intended, was also a good one. And um, and the fact that they brought Joni and Calamity Jane back together, as perhaps unconvincing as their flagrantly open. Gay relationship is in you know the eighteen nineties or whatever mm-hmm. um, was still a real nice thing because of it being you know so much the heart of the uh, some of the last seasons of the show. Mm-hmm. So, um, so no, it was a, it was I thought a really tender, very thoughtful and um, and lovely way to end. Uh, Deadwood, and then the fact of the matter was that the writing and from scene one to the end was. <laughs> Out of this world, and I think that's kind of where we should begin our discussion because uh, we're talking about the show as well, right?
1: Yeah, like David Milch's writing is one of the things that I feel gives so, the sh- gives the show its identity. This sort of Shakespearean poeticness with a lot of swearing and everything, just like a lot of the dialogue is just it's incredible, and it's and it, and it, and it, and it is so much part of the show's identity. And it is, and he did a fantastic job with the screenplay. Uh, for this movie and I think it just it flowed nicely there was you know a sense of cohesiveness it was just it was just really nice to hear you know the words just coming off the screen and it just felt good it, it was it just felt really kind of
2: pleasing good and nice yeah. Um yeah the um, tell me about David Meltzer I mean he's I don't know him that well beyond his, I mean being, you know the, this phenomenal writer and my favorite TV program. Yeah,
1: I mean, he worked on he worked on NYPD Blue. He he he's worked on a bunch of TV shows and NYPD Blue. He co-created that with Steven Boccio, who did a lot of shows like a lot of cop shows and things like that. He was very well. He was very famous. Uh, Steven Batoch. He's passed away recently, but um, apparently, I think on I think on NYPD Blue, I think David Milch had a heart attack while he was arguing with David Caruso about something like God. And uh, David Crusoe actually left NYPD Blue after season one to sort of find a career in movies, and it all went.
2: Yeah, what's he up to
1: these days? Uh, Nothing much. CSI Miami ended a few years ago, and he's done nothing since then.
2: He he really is a a terrible actor. Um, So, yeah, David David, Milch wanted to create
1: my sort of. When looking online, he wanted to create create a show which looks at. Something like the beginnings of Order that came out of Chaos, and he, he originally wanted to do that with, uh, he wanted to do a TV show that looked at ancient Rome, but someone told him that there was another TV show being developed called Rome, so he decided to do something about the old west which
2: when deadwood came out annoyingly that very same show also produced by hbo which by the way is not good um is also it. the reason why series three, one of the reasons why series four of deadwood never happened because they had to use their resources to make this ridiculous show which then also was cancelled after two seasons yeah although it was a good resource uh for this particular Member of the podcast uh, fraternity because uh, I was studying uh, ancient Rome at the time, and it was a good little refresher about the order of events. Because you know, d- despite not being particularly well acted or um, having any real merit beyond uh, looking kind of nice, um, the show was you know accurate enough. Yeah. And so yeah, it was a good little refresher. But yeah. Um, that's. I mean, it's interesting, though, that that was the area that he was first drawn to. And it's also interesting to me looking at his list of credits. I mean, he's not like Aaron Sorkin, you know, no. you think if you're watching the West Wing and you're like, oh, I wonder what Aaron Sorkin had been up to. It's like he had had a decent like he'd done a plenty before that show. And Aaron he's done Sorkin did since. quite a lot. Yeah. Whereas you look at David Mills, it's like he's done a couple of cop shows. And since Deadwood, not a hell of a lot well and, he and, did
1: have that he he was developing that tv show luck with uh dustin Hoffman, nick nolte and i think michael Gambon and dennis farina are on the show and it was looking at horse racing and gambling and he actually did have a gambling problem and he actually did spend quite a lot of his money and uh you know, he had to, like, sell his house, and his wife ended up selling, uh, suing his uh, financial advisors for not, like, telling him that he was, you know, in the shits. And luck was renewed for a second season, but then was cancelled uh, after the first one had ended because of of three horse-related deaths on the show. And,
2: and then the deaths of horses or horses that went mad and killed people?
1: The horses that died, yeah during the yeah, making
2: horse, so so three horses died not horse related I mean, cool. a horse related death is if someone's walking down the street and the horse falls out a window and kills them okay
1: fine horse, three horses died in the making of the show and the HBO cancelled it even when they renewed it and I do and I, I was reading it I think I can't remember where I read it but Michael Mann directed the pilot of the that of that series and apparently he barred uh, David Milch from the set and David Milch likes to be on set he likes to see everything being filmed he likes to be with the actors on, and there's a few there's a few pictures on imdb where he's actually on set in uh, deadwood and the tv show and in the movie as well and apparently during the editing of the of the show he actually went after michael mann with a baseball bat
2: well i mean i've seen a couple of michael mann's less good movies and so that's understandable yeah
1: and uh so yeah i mean david Mills has had an interesting career he's he's done a lot you know he's he's done a lot of writing uh mostly for tv um uh, sadly, he um, there, there's been an article about him in the New Yorker where he, you know, he's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and he was suffering it while he was even writing the Deadwood movie mm. as well. So this always feels like a The movie feels like a swan song to his career a little bit in some in, in some fashion.
2: Well, and it deals with those um, with some of that same, um, mm. you know the kind of themes that you would perhaps wish to address. I mean, I can't speak for him, obviously, but you know, that if you had uh, recently been diagnosed with something as something as terrible as that, and obviously we, um, you know, our thoughts are with him, um, mm-hmm. because um, that's not a lot of fun. Um, no. But it's uh, I thought incredibly, um, it was kind of amazing that he chose to share that with the world, because, um, you know, you never know that can be, um, it can be both a good and a bad idea to share if you're going through something. I mean, you think about, you know, we no one really knew about David Bowie until it was too late, Um, Mm. but other people have been more public and it's sort of, you know, I guess it sort of depends on the individual, but yeah, yeah, um, I hope his road is as smooth as it possibly can be. Yeah. Um, So uh, where do you want to, I mean, so I think it's a good idea to, that we started with David Mills because he really is the brainchild of this incredible Yeah. program but um when did you first watch deadwood i think
1: i first started watching it after you had you had started watching it. and this was like a few years after it had ended so i think this was like 2010 yeah. kind of period i think
2: i i remember i i knew my so my friend uh jay yeah um Bought me this show and said, This is like made for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm always, I'm always terrible when people buy, as you know, when yeah. people buy me something to watch, I basically say thank you and I put it in a box and I never deal with it. Uh, because I'm a terrible um, idiot. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, at this time I was working uh, quite a lot of the time, I was spending quite a lot of time working in the Middle East of all mm-hmm. places in Abu Dhabi. Uh, and, um, I, a few, it was a few months after Jay had given me the show, and I was I was like, oh god, I'm going to need to do something while I'm uh, whiling away the long evenings. It's not like there's a thriving pub scene or anything down there. Um, so I, um, on impulse, put the show in my bag and was like, I'll watch it, um, you know, in the evenings. And um, I was hooked. I loved mm. it. I was. Um, it was um, an incredible. Uh, journey. I mean, one of the things that had kept me from watching it was because I'm always nervous about watching westerns that have been made with a deliberate eye to being something new and something challenging. Yeah. And I knew Deadwood had done that. And so I'm like, oh that can go one of two ways. You know, it's like bad girls, the quick and the dead or something. But then there's, you know, for every one of them you get something um like unforgiven. And this is, you know, I was about to say young guys. As- Sorry, I was about to say Young Guns. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, or but but for every one of those, you get Unforgiven, or you get Rango, or you get, yeah. you know, um, Bone Tomahawk, which I haven't seen. But I fucking um, want to watch that movie. It's supposed to be quite good. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I was, um, I was—you're just, just immediately drawn into this this world, and what I think is really crucial about it is you're drawn into a community because one of the Deadwood's greatest strengths is that it has this amazing ensemble
1: yes it sure does
2: uh it has you know it has an incredible cast of actors many of whom you will recognize from other stuff you know you think about jeffrey jones brad dorothy and mccain and um and everyone gets you know equal time and this is again i'm sorry to do this but i'm going to compare it to early seasons of game of thrones one of the great things about game of thrones is that You don't really know who the main character is, and you don't, and you get to spend equal time with a lot of different people and sort of go and and, you know, you get to change your mind about people. Because at the start of Game of Thrones, you know, Tyrion is a little shit, and blah blah blah. At the start of Deadwood, I was convinced, well, this Swearengen character is going to be, um, the good guy, the main villain of the show. (laughs) And by episode three, episode four, he's if not quite the protagonist, he's definitely not the villain because then you get the you know, then, then all of a sudden Powers Booth shows up and it's like, well, you want to see a bad guy, let's yeah. you know let talk. So um uh so you know, it's it's um it's amazing how the show moves. But I think just this the thing that that, that goes through every season and that actually is such a huge part of the film as well is what an incredible cast of characters and cast of actors and how those actors have understood their characters from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, yet another thing that you could compare this show and Game of Thrones with is that in the last series of Game of Thrones it seems that a lot of the characters are making decisions or doing things that don't seem entirely consistent with how they've been portrayed up until this point. And yet in Deadwood with a gap of, despite the filming gap of 12 years and a yeah. release gap of 13, uh, the actors are um it's as if they have you know just picked it up exactly where they're at yeah, it it's really like... is as if the characters have been hibernating there's no character there who doesn't do something uh who does something that seems in any way implausible or, or, or weird
1: yeah just it just seemed like they never left everyone fell into their character very seamlessly and it does and like you said it has one of the best ensemble casts of all time and a lot of the actors in it are just great character actors that just look believable for that world, that the sh- that for the world that the- in the show that they're creating. Like everyone, like, I don't know, like Conrad Stapleton, he wears like a top hat and bearded and stuff. He looks like a Western character actor. And I think, that's, and I think just the way they speak and the, their sort of dialect and how they move and stuff, like everyone just feels authentic to that time period.
2: The, the, um, the dialogue is amazing because they use contemporary to our time they use contemporary swear words mm. but in this very deliberately uh, 19th century uh way of speaking mm. and i think the marriage of those two it's like there's a particular music to, to milch's writing and it's that, that that you know in in sorkin it's about rhythm and um and sort of word choice and how it all fits together in this very kind of yeah. musical way of speaking it's in 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 milch's it's this combination between this very um uh, very archaic, very idiosyncratic nineteenth-century way of speaking, with um, uh, you know, with this, with punctuated by um, you know, t- the worst, all of the bad swear words, uh, yeah. and using often the word "fuck" or "fucking" is used so uh, well and so um, kind of musically throughout uh, Deadwood, and it yeah. and it it, it emphasises um moments of tension it adds to moments of humor it does um so much in favor of the show and it's you know funny when you talk about swearing so often it's oh, gratuitous or mm. whatever but actually more often than not in really good shows or good films thinking again about um you know our old favorite the big lebowski mm. um it actually does serve such a great uh, and artistically justifiable purpose so yeah i mean that's that's one thing and then um you know, it's it's about there's a certain cadence to the delivery of uh, lines in Deadwood that is um, exemplified by Ian McShane, but also I think um, there are there you know each character has its own has its own, his his or her own um, you know way of of of, de- of doing of you know mm-hmm. doing the dialogue, and I think it's it's just all together you know it's it is it's like an orchestra of of of, of, of voices, and it is yeah. so. Such an incredible show to listen to. Like when you, I, you know, I once came across the soundtrack to Deadwood on Spotify, and they interspersed between the tracks there were bits of dialogue. And just yeah. listening to the dialogue is, is satisfying on the ears. You yeah. know, just hearing it out of context. I mean, how many of those? One there's some wonderful YouTube compilations of like Al Swarnton's best bits or whatever. and yeah, it's I, know. Exactly I think that.
1: <laughs> I think anyone watching that show, anyone watching any of those clips who hadn't seen like the show, would probably just be like, "What is this?" <laughs> It's just the guy shouting at a Chinaman who doesn't speak English.
2: Yeah, um, but uh, so um, we've obviously mentioned a few of the male actors, but I, I want to talk about yes, um, a couple of the, well, a lot of the female actors as well because it is a very good show for women, despite being a Western. Yeah. I think.
1: Yeah, I, like, the, the, there's some good writing for the women and, and good female characters. Like, Paul yeah. Malcolmson, who plays Trixie, is amazing. And the development that she goes, the journey that she goes on and the character development is just great with her. It's so, it, it just yeah. really works. And also, uh, Robin Weigert, who plays Calamity Jane, she's amazing as well. Kim Dickens, who plays uh, Joni Stubbs. Yeah, uh,
2: I mean, those three uh, those three characters have yeah. got such incredible stories. Yeah, um, yeah. It's. Um, I believe Deadwood passes the Bechdel test. In fact, I know it does. I, they do, um, yeah, yeah.
1: They very much which do. Is, pass the which is
2: great. Um, yeah. And um, and then, obviously, at the heart of it all—or not at the heart of it all—but certainly one of the more influential characters in terms of plot development, you have um, Alma Garrett, who's played by an actress whose name I can't quite Molly remember, uh, Molly Parker. Molly Parker, um, who is um, who's also very good, um, and occasionally has to. You know, I think, I imagine an actor playing that role would sometimes think, like, oh, throw us a bone here. Like, when is this mm. character going to, like, you know... Um, when is she going to... Um, Get out of the hotel room. Be, stop being a simpering uh, drug addict and, and, you know, be as be as badass as all the other, you know, stride around getting drunk and, you know, drawing a pistol like Calamity Jane or... Yeah. Um, but it is, it, it, it you know, it's a hard world for women, and I think her character uh, speaks directly to that. Obviously, you know, Joni and Trixie are both prostitutes, and so inherently there is a an examination of, um, you know, sexual inequality there, mm. but uh, gender inequality even. Um, but I think it's interesting that in Al McGarrett they have so many instances where uh, she sort of calls out the sort of ridiculousness of male. Uh, dominated life and rules yeah. because she's smarter than her husband. She's smarter than, um, her father who is a shit and she is smarter ultimately, um, than the man who she has an right. affair with, Seth Bullock, who's yeah. kind of the, 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 you know, the main character for want of a better word. Um, and, um, you know, and, and she, and there are so many moments where she just, ter- you know, there, there are these, I mean, there's the great example when seth and her father is sort of walking in the street smoking cigars and discussing her money and she's like just standing there at the window and she's talking to uh the child she's adopted sophia but she's actually you know having a, a shakespearean soliloquy about how you know stupid the whole idea that women have to retreat and the men have to deal with the world and mm. how much how hateful it is and she uses that word you know we, we you know we hate them yeah um, and that actually brings me on to one of the um other things about the writing of deadwood that you mentioned shakespearean i mean one of the great techniques that he uses which is straight out of shakespeare is the, is the soliloquy that characters use to the audience and, in the show yeah yeah every every character has at least one of them i think yeah. uh every main character and that will, will turn and, and speak to us and sort of reveal character or advance the plot and it's um um uh, it's always such an amazing, you know, when it happens, there's Mm. one of my favorite ones is E.B. Farnham. Who's um, uh, the hotel owner played by uh, William Sanderson, William Sanderson. Thank you. Um, When he's scrubbing, he's got trying to clean a bloodstain out of the floor. And it's just this incredible revelation about what his character is all about. You know, his, his kind of desperate kind of cockroach, like uh, fight for survival in this uh, world of shifting alliances. And, um, so should we talk a little bit about the basic plot of the show? Or do yeah. people already know it? Should we sort of refresh people's memory?
1: Yeah, so season one starts <laughs> in the town of Montana. Seth Bullock is leaving. He's the le- town of Montana? Sorry, sorry, sorry. The state of Montana. Uh, and uh, it starts off with him in a jail cell. He's 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 talking with a prisoner played by James Parks, who says who's talking about Deadwood. And he says, no law at all in Deadwood. And he's about to be hung. And uh, I should mention we that should,
2: the f- we should drop in some some dialogue. Don't you think we can do that without getting sued? Yeah, yeah, we can we, we can try and do that. Um,
1: but uh, yeah, so I should mention that the first episode of Deadwood is directed by a man who is no stranger to westerns, uh, Mister Walter Hill.
2: Is that right?
1: Yeah, Geronimo, uh, Geronimo director, the Long Riders. The Warriors, which is kind of extreme prejudice. Yes, extreme prejudice, uh, which also Mm. has Powers Booth. Indeed. Yes. So yeah, I I
2: had forgotten that. That's that's yeah.
1: So he very perfectly sets the mood and the tone for the entire series that is just followed by other directors like Daniel Minahan, who directed the uh, the movie. He also he also directed about three or four episodes in the series.
2: So yeah, so it starts in in montana and you were hearing about this place called deadwood which was a, a real life um mm-hmm. mining camp that later became a town that is now still standing mm-hmm. uh in south dakota in the black Hills, which were uh sacred land to the to a lot of the plains tribes specifically the lakota tribe mm. um who had uh, just uh, been um, they'd been the territory had been reserved for them but um gold had been discovered in the black hills by none other than uh, general oh lieutenant colonel custer on one of his yeah expeditions up there um in 1874 i think and um the um the the, the resulting gold rush uh, was one of the reasons behind uh, one of the many reasons behind the um what's called the Great Sioux War or the um, Little Bighorn campaign, you know, anyway, the series of campaigns that culminated in the battle of the Little Bighorn and and the death of of Custer. And obviously after Little Bighorn, all bets were off because the United States government was like, right, well, they, they being the Indians have just killed uh, nearly 300 people. So all of our offers are off the table. We're rounding everyone up and putting them on reservations. And those who aren't being put on reservations are going to be killed. So uh, at that point, you know, if you're a miner who's Ill- it's still at this point illegally in the Black Hills, according to the treaty. You know, there were people. You know that if if you got if you got found by cavalry patrols at that point, you know they would uh, point you in the other direction and say, no, you, get, you need to get out. But it wasn't really that well no. enforced. It's, and and after Little Bighorn, it is, you know, that's it. No, that, any idea of paying uh, lip service to the treaty, it's gone. And and that's where we enter the that's where we we come in in the show yeah and in real life uh there were a lot of these characters things happened some you know there were things that definitely we know that happened like uh, the death of wild bill hickok yes. and uh there was a big fire which i always speculated was going to be somehow the culmination of the series that there was that there was going to be a um a fire of some kind uh, because they talk quite a lot throughout the show. There's quite a lot of talk about fire and fire, um, say, you know, this idea of like, you know, that at one point they, ha- they have a, fi- a new fire marshal. I think it's um, um, Manning, I think. No, it was, it's, um, what's his face? Ugh, why am I drawing a blank? You know, Hickok's friend, uh, Charlie Utter. Oh, Charlie Utter, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he, and he's going into, you know, and he's and he's sort of, uh, you know, t- t- keep sort of going around looking at things that are unsafe. And then but Manning, right. He's obsessed with being a fireman. And uh, and he. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's I think there are these little, you know, hints there here and there that that's where they would have gone if the, if the show had been allowed to continue. But anyway, mm-hmm. the less said about that, the better. Um the um you know, there were things that, that that happened that they do build plot around and then there were other people who were real people but not necessarily in the way, you know, there was an elsewhere Swearingen whether he was basically um, you know, the gangster type just described in the show is, yeah. is probably and there was a <clears throat> there was a Seth Bullock and there was a Soul Star. And interestingly Sol Star the real Sol Star did end up um Becoming mayor. running for office. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's all pretty. Uh, so, so you know, it's all set up for um, a lot of fun. But unlike you know a show in the nineteenth century that would have been set in New York or would have been set in um, California, or something more yeah. populated, you know, you are able to take historical liberties here because we are, by very virtue of being in the Western, you know, we are in the realm of the legend, um, and we're also the stakes for playing around with history are relatively low because you're not going to be getting too many people uh, pulling you up on whether or not, you know, the real life. Uh, Seth Bullock was, uh, you know, as as uh, as upright as um, as uh, Timothy Oliver makes him. But, you know, so so, so it's, it's sort of it's sort of wonderful that you have the ability to do a, a little bit of history, but also a lot of invention at the same time. Mm.
1: I think, like a lot of westerns, they do take a lot of liberties with historical facts and things like that because it just, you know, helps for the story and, and things like that. And I'll, I mean, they do it in the movie as well in in one particular scene. Well, which one are you thinking about? Uh, the one with uh, Charlie Otto in the movie.
2: Yeah. No, oh, yeah. I suppose yeah. Charlie Otter did not have his head blown off. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, so um, so it's so right. Anyway, so the, the basic story of the show i guess can follow a number of lines i mean the, i guess the first season is
1: um the sort of beginnings of the camp and introductions to all the characters and trying to make something of yeah. themselves in this part of the world where there wasn't any lore and deadwood wasn't really a town it was just a camp and i think you sort of see the beginnings of that when they're sitting around the table with peaches and cinnamon and they're all sort of deciding who can take little bits of government and eb
2: farnham's like i can be mayor <laughs> and uh yeah. No, you have that sense of a forming of like some kind of civic community. But what I think, the, in terms of plot, the main thrust of that show is that there is a gold claim that is an absolute bonanza, that, um, yeah, that by Garrett. sort of dumb luck falls into the hands of um, Al McGarrett's uh, husband. ill-fated <laughs> husband, who's yeah. been murdered, but she then keeps it and is able to keep it. Uh, um, simultaneously, you have the fact that um, a girl... A young girl has a young Norwegian girl has survived an attack on her family supposedly by Indians but actually by road agents working uh, on behalf of swearingen so he's sort of working a lot through the show to kind of maintain his own position and make sure he makes a bunch of money mm. um, but he also and I think you know this is when you start seeing that he's more than just the villain it, you know he has an eye on the future. And he knows that the best hope for Deadwood is that it, you know, it be recognised legally. Because one of his worries is that the government can show up one day and say, "Well, you were on violate, you know, you were violating the treaty by being in the land in the first place. That so all of your property is therefore forfeit, you don't own any of it." And so, and then everyone's back to square one. And for someone like Gal who has so much invested in it, that would be a disaster. So he he puts all these machinations in place, and that sort of culminates, obviously, in the. Um, the murder of the territorial commissioner at the end Mag- yeah, of magistrate claggett yeah magistrate claggett which is a wonderful name yeah
1: yeah and then he gets uh titus welliver's uh yeah. what's his character's name again uh adams be- adams on his side silas adams on his side yeah see you got Trixie all distressed she wanted to give you a ride
0: a thousand now if anyone in that tent or the building we put up turns a playing card or pours a drink or offers a woman's services, you get title back and keep our fucking money. What makes you talk to me in that tone of voice? I'm making a counteroffer. You come into camp, rent my lot, within six hours you point on a guy's eye with Wild Bill Hickok back in your play. Next day I'm supposed to sell you the lot, put you in business without asking who the fuck you are or what the fuck you're doing here?
1: as what happened in the street with Bill Hickok being involved. That was a turn of events. A what? It was a turn of
0: events. Oh, a turn of events. Your partner calls it a coincidence, so what with this coincidence and turn of events staring me in the fucking face and five other fucking things I'm supposed to be paying attention to? I still make you a sensible proposal, and you answer by insulting me in my own joint. Yes, that didn't mean to insult you, Mr. You stay Ford. out of this. You don't know nothing about this. You weren't here, and you don't have his proxy. so why don't you do whatever you people do when you're not running your mouths off or cheating people out of what they earned by Christian work? You
1: don't want to be talking that way.
0: Oh, don't tell me how to talk in my own fucking place. And here's my counter-offer to your counter-offer. Go fuck yourself.
2: The arrival in camp of Wild Bill Hickok, who is is and was uh, at that time, you know, a huge celebrity. I mean, that would be one of the most famous people in, certainly in America, but also, you know, he had a global fame at this point, you know, just tipping up in this mining camp. And he is obviously a deeply compromised version of himself um but played brilliantly by keith Carradine. Mm. like he had such a brilliant performance and he he helps us get it's like his presence the presence of that actor who who is a you know a real star and also the, the presence of wild bill kind of gets us into those early episodes where it's like oh wow you know something really is you know even people who don't really watch westerns have might have heard of wild bill hickok um but then, you know, like Janet Lee and Psycho, he's killed, and mm. that ends up being a huge source of um, conflict and and of, of character development in the in the first season. Yeah, um, and I I just think there are so many wonderful bits of um, tension in that show in that season. They're between um, you know between the suspense around whether or not this girl will survive what because of the fact that she knows this secret potentially about our whether or not um you know when when you know that sort of inexorable just kind of walk slow walk towards uh death that Wild Bill Hickok does through it and and then obviously you have the arrival in camp of uh of Powers Booth and his merry band who site Oliver <laughs> yeah immediately is set up in opposition to uh, Al, and he is also set up quite early on as like a stone cold
1: um, psychopath.
2: psychopath in ways that uh al isn't because young uh, young sarah marshall turns up and tries to rob him and then the the, the rest yeah that,
1: that 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 scene i rewatch i mean i recently re-watched all the episodes before um, the movie came out uh, in sort of beginning part of this year and that episode in season one where Joni and ricky jay's character um Okay, I've forgotten his name again. Uh, the the card sharp guy. I forgot his name. Eddie Sawyer. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I know. Eddie, oh, he's um, Eddie Sawyer. That's his name. And, Sawyer, and they get brought into it's... this room, and there and the, the Sarah Marshall, Kristen Bell's and his her brother in the in the series are all beat up, and they're delirious, and like Powers Booth is just like, "Come over here, get on this side." The Takers called my sinister side.
2: It it's such it's, a chilling. It's scene. a really frightening scene that one, and he yeah. he sort of kills these people in front of them and um these young children essentially with young teenagers um and then we know that i mean we know several things one we know that Oliver is evil um and that there's there's no question that he is an unredeemable irredeemable bad guy um but i think that's the moment where he he's using it as a sort of teachable moment to try and show uh eddie sawyer and jody that you know we we don't tolerate um we we are not getting we're not getting ripped off we're not getting um, fucked around here and uh, you need a lesson in brutality and obviously far from endearing uh, himself to them or bringing them on side he pushes them both away and that's one and that's really where Joanie's story um, sort of begins. starts going yeah yeah because she's then immediately goes off and decides she wants to find her own uh, place and yeah. run her own. Um, brothel so uh in one of the great scenes uh where she meets uh, charlie other for the first time and sort of they go you know they're sort of making small talk and uh and he's like and she's like what are you doing he's like oh you know I, i'm kind of in the freight business and uh, and, uh what do you do and she's like yeah prostitute. <laughs> it's just like straightforward yeah. no and i i, I love that i remember that finding that very um in doing. and it's you know but it's funny because what and i remember being so taken by this at the time like throughout all of this violence and um you know all the sort of uh, scheming that goes on there are so many moments of great heart in that first yeah. season and you haven't had a lot of time to get to know these characters but already there are just huge moments of tenderness uh the doc is uh, doc cochran played yeah brad by brad dourif mm. is um is is a source of many of them early on that he is um because he's caring for so many yeah um, so many people that we have come to have um you know a great stake in and then also he's faced with um the first like real existential crisis to the camp is one that he's he alone can really deal with which is the outbreak of uh uh, smallpox, yeah, smallpox. Which, in real which life, which they call you know, they call plague. Which I love. It's it yeah. is sort of another kind of European slash yeah. Shakespearean touch.
1: But in real life, Calamity Jane did help out with the measles out, well, the smallpox outbreak in, in that in that time period in the real day. Yeah, end. I'm sure. Because um, apparently she's is... immune, so she can help out with uh, with uh, with all the people who are sick.
2: Yeah, and it's um, it's great. Um... It it is the thing that drags her out of her despair over the death of uh, Bill Hickok, and um, you know to some degree. And uh, it is, um, yeah, it's 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 an amazing kind of moment of um, of crisis because it also it draws together that there's that great scene where they are uh, with um, Jeffrey Jones, um, who plays the newspaper editor, um, Mm -hmm. the comic coach. Merrick thank you um and all the sort of the great and good of the town elsewhere, and then Tolliver and all these others are sort of bandying words I and mean, sort, of, sort of dictating to him about you know the this article that's going to be printed in the newspaper trying to reassure everyone um and um, yeah it is a it, it's a great it, I just think it's a great moment um, mm. and that shows this sort of nascent uh, community developing and, and Merrick's a, a, a brilliant character I mean he's such a buffoon um, <laughs> he's an oaf. And, yeah he's a he's a real kind of like bumbling eejit um <laughs> but there's a there's a there's also a sort of warmth to him um and, yeah, it's, uh,
1: it's interesting looking at the relationship between him and swearingen like swearingen is like he gives him so he he's he actually treats him uh, uh, like in in a very uh, in the opposite way that he treats like all the other people like uh johnny and uh like trixie at times but he tried he, he's a bit more
2: warm to merrick than some scenes which is interesting yeah, it's almost like like he knows that Merrick has softer skin and yeah, he's um, a bit more sensitive than than the others. Um, uh, but yeah, so I mean, so series one kind of concludes with a lot of characters mm. that we've gotten to know better. Very few um, people are, you know, we've lost a few, you know, we've lost the Reverend, we've lost Bill Hickok, and a couple of couple of unsavoury characters have been in the dust. But like, it ends on this note of wonderful sweetness with the the doc dancing with uh with jill who's i think it's oh wait uh, i think it's jewel, jewel.
1: yeah
2: uh who who is um who is an actress played by uh so what's the actress's name is
1: um uh, i can't remember i'll just look her up really quickly i think her last name is jewel actually
2: but anyway she she has cerebral palsy in real Gerald, life, and jerry jerry so think...
1: jerry jewel yeah that's her name
2: yeah and so and i think that's but anyway so that he's he's helped her uh, um, make a sort of mobility-enhancing uh, harness for her leg. Yeah, and um, and at the end, of the last scene of the show is those two dancing in the saloon, and it's that I wanted to just touch on because speaking of you know the great westerns, one of the things that happens in each iteration of Deadwood, including the film, is that at some point there's a community dance, and of course that was one of the things that uh, John Ford always used to yeah. show the would, you know, to to express the commitment or, and the sort of the spirit of a particular community, whether that mm. was like a fort or a town or yeah, uh, whatever.
1: But that's actually that's actually one of my favourite episodes of the show. That last season, that last episode of season one. Like, there's a lot of great scenes in that. There's that bit where Doc confronts Al a little bit over the Reverend Ralph McKinnon, who has a tumor in his head, and also him and also he has his own little soliloquy moment as well because dark cochran was a doctor in the civil war and That's there's right, and yeah. all these little and he, he's sort of drinking and then he's just having this moment of re- venting. and it's actually a really really moving scene and very it's quite powerful and there's a lot of images of that like you know put in your head of what he's seeing because you know the american civil war was horrible for, oh, for mean, a lot of
2: reasons there's a great exchange as well one of the great moments of sort of dark comedy where um that al sergeant says you know he's going to be left holding a bag of shit and then doc said no i'm asking you to care for a human being in his last extremity and how because a human being in his last extremity is a bag of shit <laughs> um which is um you know it's sort of a gobble of how yeah artly, kind of funny deadwood can be at times and i mean there are moments of kind of broad comedy in this first season even yeah. i mean that was another thing that surprised me as i had no idea how funny it was um I, obviously the scene with woo uh, the famous scene with Wu, which I think you probably dropped in the audio yeah. at this point. I, I wouldn't want to do an impression of it for fear of a, yeah, it's just... anyone. Anyway. But it's just like you know, it is very. It, it, it honestly is. It's straight out of like Faulty Towers. or yeah. something. It's not even. You know, it's it's it's, it's so <laughs> like who are you ignorant fucking
1: slapstick. But I I, I love in the movie because I felt like how are they going to do Wu? Has Wu taught taught eng- has taught himself English over the over the over the last like ten years since like the since the in the events of the show had ended but he's just gotten like a translator and i thought
2: that was just Wait, brilliant it's 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 it, what's it, it's like the kid from the i couldn't believe it, the kid from the indiana jones movie yeah <laughs> what's <laughs> his name like short round or whatever just short say. round yeah i was like I can't believe this <laughs> i mean there was a couple of i mean not to go too far ahead but there was a couple of new characters that i thought just didn't really work in the deadwood movie but that's fine yeah. um they didn't have enough time ready to um
1: yeah, uh, it's one of them. But anyway, so we go into series two. Yeah, series two uh, is the arrival of Seth Bullock's uh, wife, well, his brother's wife and his brother's son. They're arriving on the town with a few prostitutes that are working with Joni, and Joni's about to set up her new place, the Chez Ami. And Bullock has started an affair with Alma Garrett, and quite a few people are aware of that, including Al Swearingen And there's a moment where there's some shooting out in the streets. And Al is standing up from his balcony as he does from the Gem Saloon and calls out Bullock and sort of makes reference to his little affair and then it results with them beating the
2: shit out of each other on the streets. Well, and, and very nearly in in the death of one or both of them. And it's like, yeah. I remember first watching that and being like, hang on a minute, is one of the main characters of the show going to die in the first episode of uh. the second season? But
1: I just, and, 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 and just as... Uh, Anna Gunn, who most people will know, plays Skyler White from Breaking Bad. He, she plays uh, Bullock's wife, and she arrives on the in on the stage. And Al has a knife on Bullock's throat, and he sees the wife of the son, and then he just goes, "Welcome to fucking Deadwood." Can be combative. yeah, <laughs>
2: um, it's, um, yeah it's an incredible introduction to the second series, which obviously then has to involve um, Bullock and. Our learning to live together, yeah, um, yeah. and obviously him, uh, he has to learn to live with his wife too, yeah, um, and that is tough. And obviously, one of the things that makes it even tougher is that uh, towards the end of the show, um, in the the child is killed in a freak accident involving a horse, uh, a yeah. horse-related death, as you might say, <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, the, um, th- that sort of you know threatens to. Destroy their marriage because she's been humiliated when the moment she shows up, Alma decides that the time is right to, you know, uh, introduce herself. And she does it in such a way that leaves no doubt that she's been having an affair with Bullock. And, um, you know, it, it, become, it, 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 all becomes very soap opera uh, in a good way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they have to, um, they have to find a way through that. Obviously this is all complicated by the fact that, um, uh Mrs. Garrett is pregnant with Bullock's child. Yes. Um so there's there's a heck of a lot going on. Um irrespective yeah. of the fact that we have uh in camp we have the arrival of uh not the first but the second character played by Garrett um, Dillahunt Garrett Dillahunt who I just think is one of the he's he's like the he's he's I don't know like what what would you want to he's like almost like uh the modern day harry dean standard you know yeah. he's like the biggest gift to the western he's yeah. got the perfect face and voice and aspect to play in western movies yeah. and he's also just a brilliant kind of character actor. but he's 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 already played um he played jack, jack McCall, mccall who's <laughs> the guy that killed wild bill hickok yeah and he now plays francis walcott who um works for is- george hurst who works with the as yet unseen George Hurst, another real life character, yes, uh, father of William Randolph Hurst, of course, on whom Citizen Kane is based, yes, um, and he's in camp working uh, for George Hurst, trying to set up his you know interests and and get people to sell their claims and uh, buying them up on behalf of Hurst and using as his agent in this um, little scheme. So yeah who is increasingly be, you know, revealed to be a spineless, uh, kind of character. And, um, you know, and, and uh, but but I think one of the things that they, one of the clever things they do is that, you know, Walcott's already sinister enough, and then he turns out to be, uh, a really frightening, um, and, um, you know, murderous, uh, character. And that's, yes. uh, I thought that's a really interesting, um, development and it sort of gives this, um, it gives this huge moment of tension in the in the show where he he murders everyone, but Joni and her new uh, yeah. establishment. Or, nearly, or he murders I think three of the people in this new establishment. And um, I, I read and up on. Um, back-
1: I was reading on IMDb on the trivia page the, the scene where the woman who gets her throat cut she I think she was so into the scene she didn't she 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 kind of forgot the fact that she had a prosthetic neck that she actually thought Garrett Dillahunt cut her and you can kind of see her reaction on the
2: screen on the screen like she just got yeah. really
1: she just got really into it and she that you just. That...
2: I mean I was thinking about this the other day like when you were having violence done towards you on on screen like sometimes it can be very convincing I mean do people ever get like PT I mean does, does this yeah. ever affect people I've well, never really thought about this you well know? the
1: guy in the American version of the girl the dragon tattoo the guy who uh, rapes uh, uh, Elizabeth Salander's character. He got tremendously affected by doing that scene. He actually just locked himself in an, in a hotel room and
2: cried. It was too. It was very emotional yeah. for him. Yeah, yeah. It's, I guess even if yeah, if you're perpetrating one, maybe it's even worse. But it makes you think, doesn't it? I mean, um, but no. That's that's an incredible that's an incredible moment in the show. And it's mm. um, there's um, uh, yeah. So that, I mean, series two basically picks off picks up as soon as one left off in terms of, um, you know, having all this uh, plot action going on, but they also drive forward this idea of this community forming. And yeah. I think that the, the the death of the boy is a great example of when, um, you know, the, the the town kind of comes together um, and the funeral is a very moving uh, moment. And it's also terrible because it's, you know, Mrs. Bullock's like, you know, ultimate kind of, uh, low point where it's like she's in town she's been humiliated by the, the fact that she's married her, her husband's brother who doesn't really love her in the way that her husband did um but she you know out of the because of the moors of the time it's easier to be married than not and then um to cap it all off he's had an affair and then you know the the, the thing that she can really cling to is the the is is it's her son and then he's mm-hmm. taken from her as well it's just it's it's just so tragic and i think that yeah um there's a great amount to be said actually for the the subplot of her and bullock's relationship and mm. how and actually i think one another thing that they address uh so well in, in the in the film
1: oh yeah i think they did that very well very in 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 a very good way <laughs> of like making it look subtle without like really sort of drawing. it, it was really well done i think anna Gunn and that uh, the relationship that her and uh Timothy Oliphant had as Seth Bullock and his wife. I think that was a really well developed uh, part of the film.
2: There's great poignancy in Deadwood, and I think obviously that is really ex- uh, used and exploited in the um, in the film. Um, mm. But it's it's a hugely um, poignant and moving show at certain points, and the the, the um, I think there are some great bits. Uh, in series two that really sort of express that
1: um, actually one of the scenes just thinking about poignancy the it's after uh, just going back to season one for a bit there's the bit in just after uh, while Bill Hickok has died and Charlie Utter has just returned back to the camp and then he's standing at the grave with Calamity Jane and he breaks down I thought that is a very moving scene and used very you made very well with the music
2: and directed and everything oh god yeah I mean so much of the stuff around Bill's death is incredibly incredibly moving um the um yeah so 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 series two ends with um hearst showing up in camp and um and we have our we have our bad guy for the last season yeah who yeah. is a
1: real bastard
2: <laughs> it's like they keep getting more and more like the the threats to the camp you know with magistrate Claggett, then walcott then Hurst. it's like they go from strength to strength and Hurst even shows up with his own version of uh you know, Sir Gregor, uh, the mountain um, <laughs> in, in the form of Captain Turner, who is this, you know, beast of a man who we know at some point is going to um do something horrible someone. And that's, I think one of the things I, we haven't talked about yet. And I think draws neatly into series three is violence. Yes. The violence in the show is incredibly visceral and it feels like it has real consequences. And it's like, you know, we talked about the throat cutting scene and how, upsettingly realistic that was and then you know the fight between um dan doherty swearingen's sort of conciliary or right-hand man or whatever you want to call it yeah and uh and captain turner in the street is one of the most i mean
1: just the bit with brutal. the eye just when that happens it's just like oh my god that's that's fucking graphic Shit.
2: It's just so upsetting. Um, uh, mm. but it does uh, ultimately go the right way. I mean, there's so many moments in in Deadwood where you're like, right, this character is for it. This they're, they're fucked, they're gonna die, and they don't. And mm. um and in the, and then other times we're like, Oh, this character's gonna be fine, and then they die. So yeah. it has that, you know, the the violence is a little bit to not to keep doing this comparison, but I just watched it, so fuck it. But like you're like the early seasons of Game of Thrones where yeah you just because you're one of the main characters doesn't guarantee that you're not going to have something happen to you. And just because you're, um, you know, just because like, so someone like Sansa, for example, it's like, Oh God, she's a drip. She's not going to do well. And then lo and behold. So, um, I just think, I love the way that there's, um, there's that randomness and that also that violence is this great equalizer, you know, no one is safe from, you know, no one can survive having their eye ripped out and their head bashed against a rock. So, um,
1: but just just going on with that scene a little bit Even though it's the third season We've already become really quite attached to these characters And especially with someone like Dan Who is a very intriguing character And I think gets a chance to shine in the second season When Al suffers from kidney stones And he sort of has to take the mantle of you know dealing with shit While Al's sick in bed and you, you know, you really come, you sort of really, you resonate a lot with the characters and everything. And then you, you, when you, he has that fight scene. I really thought like Dan was gonna be dead by the end of it. And then there was this like all this sort of fight between Hearst and Swerengen, with them both standing on their balconies looking down on the yeah. town.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's like they sent out each of their gladiators or whatever. it's, yeah. it's incredibly sort of primal. Um, no, it's, 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 it's amazing. make the you know the way violence is used is. is um, is really uh, uh, unusual for the Western in, in terms of the fact that it's not, you know, people are just gripping their stomachs and falling out of their saddles There's real blood and guts and, and the sort of the, some of the like sort of toe curling like, moments uh, that are right there from the first season when like, you know, Doc is probing around and, and the fact also that the, the most sort of gross and horrible sort of feature of it all is that every time someone, Dies who doesn't get buried in the graveyard, they're fed to Woo's pigs, pigs. <laughs> which um, also, of course, reminds us of one of our old favourite Yeah, freedom to the pigs, Errol. <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, so so you know, series three um, needs you know it, it is this political battle. There is obviously a, a lot of other stuff going on. Um, but then it, you know, it ends. Yeah. And we don't really have you know, Hurst leaves the camp, but there's also you know, at, at that point um, you know, Swearinger is sent out for a bunch of hired guns and there are also a whole lot of of, um, of, of Hurst men in town, so it feels like it's being set up for some kind of shoot to uh, <laughs> And then um, and Hurst leaves, um on the way of course he's he has to satisfy himself that the person who tried to kill him which was Trixie has been killed which she has not and in one of the great kind of moments of tragedy in the show a perfectly innocent character who looks a bit like her is killed in her place and and a great there's this tense moment where they show the body and it's uh, Mm. you know her sort of nods and off they go but you know there are guns pointed out through all of that Um, the um, the sort of the the, the 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 conclusion is not like tied up with the boat no really. it, it leaves, really feels like it's being set up for another
1: yeah season. it just it leaves kind of like a bit of taste in your mouth because you you there it, it doesn't end like on a cliffhanger where you're like oh god there's what's you know what what's gonna happen it does you do sort of know where the ending goes but you just sort of feel like there's just that little bit extra more that we want to see like we there there's, is a conclusion that we want to see
2: there's one more series in it yeah there you was know, one more there series is another in it, yeah. series in it and while I I love the film, I really wish that they'd made the fourth and what would have been the fourth and final um, uh, series. And and it's a shame that they never got to do it. And I think that it's even more of a shame that there were moments where it could have happened. And then it was sort of gradually we started to realize as the years went by that the sets had been dismantled. The actors had all gone on to do new things, you know, everybody had um, aged. And that was that. And then, yeah, then obviously, um, you know, there were people had legal troubles and then uh, Powers Booth died and, you know, all this other stuff. And then, so it started to feel like this would never happen. Mm. And but then, it, then did. it did.
1: Yeah, it got greenlit two, three, two, yeah, in 2015. And then it just started sort of, the ball started rolling in 2016 and then 2017 and then getting everybody together. And then by 2018, there were
2: cameras were rolling. I know. It's amazing and gift that they were able to give us. And as I said at the beginning, I think it ties it up yeah, really beautifully, and I think um, I, I think it's a worthy um, end. And I think that, obviously, in an ideal world, they would have made a series or yeah, they like would five have done, episodes, yeah. five hour and a half long episodes. Because that would that have killed them. But you know, yeah. the fact that it's the fact that it's concise, the fact that they squeeze it into under two hours, which is um, pretty good, is is you know, and they conclude everything rather satisfactorily. I think so. Um, I think so. Yeah. So I think. Um, I, I think the story of Deadwood is done. And, yeah,
1: I don't think there's and, no reason to carry it on. I think they ended no, it really perfectly because I feel like just that scene with Trixie and and Al, where you know she says, "Our father who art in heaven, let him fucking stay there." I think is a great ending for a great line to end the series on. But I think just kind of it just it just sets the, it just kind of ended that little tone of the series right there and then. Yeah, it, it, I
2: I think finishing with Al as he sort of broken and dying is is and the fact that he is you know this you know dynamic and violent and sort of vengeful presence throughout the um series and then the last you know a few last two hours you know he's just uh he's he's on his way out you know he Mm -hmm. does what he can but he's really not the main player and i thought that was a great decision um and um and one of the and obviously one of the great final scenes is the wedding scene and there is yeah. dancing and there is all the rest of it. And it is John Ford's community once again. It was really beautiful. Uh, I thought it was anyway, scene. I should probably be thinking about going to work now. But um Yes. It sure was nice to talk to Edward with you for an hour and a bit. Yeah, it was um, lovely. So um so yeah. Um yeah. but um basically what what should we say to people who I mean Go back and rewatch it because it does stand up to rewatching, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, I like rewatching all the episodes. I just kind of remembered. I mean, not the whole everything that happens in the episodes, but I just kind of knew that this event happened in here and this event happened there, and this guy says that. I was just everything kind of it just kind of sticks with you a little bit. And I also just loved. And I also kind of forgot how immersive the show feels. Like you actually feel Mm. you're in that camp with them.
2: Well, the geography is so well realized that all the yeah. sets and all the, produ- the production design, which I haven't even talked about, is so yeah. brilliant. And the cinematography is great. I mean, everything is getting like, But it's... If you want really good yeah. television, beautifully acted, yeah. beautifully written, incredibly, um, you know, dynamic, full of, um, you know, interesting creative choices, interesting characters, historical, uh, you know, excellent kind of technical mm. filmmaking. Um, you could do a hell of a lot worse than yeah. this
1: show, but also I think it's also easy, it's easily digestible just in the, in regards to pacing because each episode is a day in the camp and each episode starts where the other episode left off, so you don't it's it's easy to kind of catch on to the story and the characters and everything.
2: And then and as you say, that adds to that immersive quality.
1: Yeah, like you feel just part of everything, like a big fly on the
2: wall and going everywhere and things like that. Yeah, um, but it's um, I mean if you've listened to this. Sh- show and you haven't seen it obviously we've spoiled it all for you but Oops. go and watch it yeah it's on uh, HBO yeah watch the whole thing you can we can watch mm. it on Amazon Prime as well. you can buy it on fucking DVD if you're one of the dinosaurs yeah. who still has DVDs like us I, uh, I, I so. kind of
1: would like to get it on DVD because apparently W Earl Brown who plays Dan Doherty who's quite close to David Milch he did say that apparently there's like 30 minutes of deleted footage of the film of the movie yeah Why ain't you up and running again?
2: I'm in despair.
0: The physical damage is repairable, but the psychic wound may be permanent. You ever been beaten, Merrick? Once, when I thought I had the smallpox, Doc Cochran slapped me in the face. Well, I'm in pain, but no, I'm obviously not dead. But obviously you didn't fucking die when the doc slapped you. No. So, including last night, that's three fucking damage incidents that didn't kill you. Pain or damage don't end the world. Or despair or fucking beatings. The world ends when you're dead. Until then,
1: you got more punishment in store.
0: Stand it like a man. And give some back.
1: I will let you get off to work and uh, you could uh, you could do that. And uh, thank you very much for talking about Deadwood. It's lovely.
2: Oh, I, I can talk about it for hours. I just... Uh, Don't have the time. Yep, yeah. <laughs> Gotta get to work. But anyway, yes.
1: Thank you very much for listening to us. Yeah, you can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts. iTunes doesn't exist anymore by the end of the year.
2: Oh right, yeah. Sorry, I've got to keep up with this stuff.
1: <laughs> so you can find us on Apple Pod uh, the Hat, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podomatic, SoundCloud. You can follow our blog, Holmes Movies WordPress, and uh, I'll be posting reviews and things like that. And Adam, when he has the time, he'll post stuff about you know. I still
2: haven't done anything. I'm really sorry. I will. No, do no, 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 well. no. It's
1: fine. You've you've been busy the last few few months. And uh, yeah, you can follow us on Instagram, andrewfholmes, adam.h.holmes. You can you can uh, feel jealous of all the places that he's been to on his honeymoon. Lovely photos, <laughs> by the way. Seville, be- beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, the food was just, Yeah, insane. the food. The yeah, food. That fun. the food and was the fun. thing. <laughs> I was just like, grr. <laughs> and yeah, I'm on Twitter at Fabricius91. He's the Northampton Dane. You can also follow our Twitter page at Holmes Movies Pod. We'll be posting, yeah, uh, episodes when they're coming out and shit like that, and movie news that I find interesting and things like that.
2: Which no one else does. Which, <laughs> I mean, we didn't do movie news this week, so we'll have to do movie news next time.
1: Yeah. I, the, I was going to say they released an image from Steven Spielberg's West Side Story remake, but I guess we'll save that for the next time.
2: Do you want to throw a quick recommendation my way?
1: Uh, yes. Because
2: um... I, I do actually
1: have one for you. For... Oh. <laughs> What's your recommendation?
2: Uh, well, it's a film that you bought me on DVD, which is uh, Le Gloire de Mon Père, which was... Um... Uh, the Marcel Pagnol sort yeah. of semi autobiographical story. like a story. Double, double bill, isn't it, with the other movie? Yeah. yeah. It's... Um, it's a beautiful film. It's set in Provence. Um, and it's one of those wonderful films where almost nothing happens and no- nothing bad happens. It's just a sketch of a time and a place. And it's, it a, it's a film for anyone who's ever been on summer holiday. Nice. Uh,
1: um, I'm just trying to think about what I can recommend to you. Uh... I'm going to recommend to you because I'm looking at something that just reminded me of a movie that I saw recently is uh, Sam Peckinpah's The Getaway, which is actually quite a decent film and actually was a film at a, a time in Sam Peckinpah's career where he actually really needed a hit.
2: No, well, and I've, it's I've a very, it's a very good it. film
1: um, uh, The guy who plays uh, Solozzo from The Godfather He's in it, he plays like uh, The villain who's chasing Steve McQueen Across uh, the United States oh. And it's got Ben Johnson, Ali McGraw mm-hmm. And yeah, it's really, it's a, it's a proper
2: I'm the hunted pe- one
1: uh, Yeah, It's a, it's a proper Peckinpah film Slow motion, blood shots, pfft all that stuff it's it's a really good film it's not i wouldn't say it's up there with like the wild Bunch to a pack and be the kid but it's i think it's a, le- a later like peck, a peck and paw gem
2: well i will i will seek it out yes. um, anyway um i now have to go and seek out the shower cool uh, and so-
1: i got to yeah I, I i need to seek out the what the rest i have to do whatever it is i do <laughs> And a Uh, hot plate Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, that concludes another episode Of the Holmes Moves podcast We've been talking about Deadwood I've been Anders Holmes
2: And I've been sneezing all the way through With some uh, success I've been managing to press the mute button But I apologise for any disgusting noises I may have made Uh, But yes, I I continue to be Adam Holmes And uh, off I go
1: He's not made for such complexities (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Have a good day